welcome in to another episode of Making More Wrestling Show on the Tell Me More Podcast. I'm your host, Mac Moore, here again with Ethan Raby. How's it going, Ethan? Pretty good. I feel like I'm too far away from the camera, and I have not figured out how to do video podcasts yet. But aside from that, everything is good on my end. You know, I was, I was testing uh, not to get too much behind the curtain for our fans listening. When we're doing Zoom, uh, you were actually much better where you were. So the, I was testing with a phone to figure it out. Like when you see it on the screen, it looks like you're super close. The thing that shows up in my Zoom screen, because it like resizes it, most of the time you're in the middle of your, your, your phone, you have room on each side, and it's just, it, it's crazy the difference between using a DSLR, using an iPhone, seeing what the, either of those two look like on the Zoom recording. It's just, you would think if you put the camera in a similar position, you're going to get at least a similar shot. Not accurate at all. So... Uh, this is our episode of us covering Zoom and how it is affected by multimedia. It has nothing to fucking do with wrestling. I did want to hit on a few, uh, you know, society things, all the stuff, you know, that's not just wrestling. Because I know... Yes, absolutely. And I hear it goes well. And we just immediately jump into uh, terrible rants on wrestling as soon as we start. So we'll, we'll jump on one. I, I want to ask you, because I, I normally have a question. And then if, it, if I the question back i don't have an answer which is rude of me this one i do have an answer for so i'm ready for you what has been your go-to food source during the stay-at-home orders and now society's opening up a little bit but we're all still being very precautionary so what's the number one thing that you're just like you, you ran out of food there's nothing in your fridge i need to get blank for dinner tonight so are you asking like what like delivery service or app I use or what actual specifically the restaurant. We're not giving uh, shout outs to DoorDash and crap like that. Yeah, no, they're fine. Um, God, honestly, I've been uh, bouncing between, I discovered sushi station here in Lawrence. Um, and that place is pretty dope. I might try and get that later. Um, and I don't know, as far as delivery, I've actually, uh, kind of, you know, uh, kicked up a little bit of a uh, an old an affair with an old flame, which is uh, Fuzzy's. I feel like I kind of got burnt out on it for a while. Fuzzy's Taco Shop is, I think I I under underestimated it and and why I used to love it so much. Um, and that was uh, yeah, those have probably been the two places that have stood out to me. Um, most local liquor stores. Um, as well have helped get through the uh, boredom of uh, rewatching, you know, not even boredom. I'm just going to say the monotony of rewatching shows like letter Kenny for the eighth time. Um, and yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty much been it for me. All right. What about you? You have an answer for this. This is clearly, this is all about you. So how about you just talk? I had to go to the place that has, is just built for uh, these times before they knew they were coming. Uh, got these Route 44s every freaking day. Sonic has been <laughs> a lifesaver for me because, like, I, I didn't realize, one, if you order on the app, you get the, like, happy hour drink special, like, all day. So no matter what you order, just order from the app. I don't know how – it says it's supposed to be, like, limited time, but this has been for, like – two years of trying to convince people there's an app for Sonic. 
but people just show up instead. I'm like, why would you show up? I, I live five minutes away, no less than five. Minutes. Really, if I don't get stuck at the light, it's like 30 seconds from my mm-hmm. to Sonic. And if I enter the the stuff, it's pretty much ready to go as I'm sitting there. So I don't, I, I guess nice. the wait. I can see what I'm going to order the same way that, you know, Sonic has the weird, like the signs are just too high. So unless you're in like a pickup truck, you can't see what you can actually choose from in the app. Find it. Only problem I have with the app is they don't put the prices. Like you have to wait till you get to checkout for them to tell you what the price is. I think that's nonsense, but yeah. <laughs> I, I, I realized with the, the half off that like first combos, but that wasn't giving me the half off. So I just started ordering their quarter pounder and a drink with it. Sometimes a blast if I wanted some uh, nice dessert there. Uh, I throw on like sometimes I want tots, but other times like if I can replace a tot with a $2 hot dog or a chicken sandwich for $1.50, I'm going to do that. Occasionally it's a corn dog and they have 99 cent corn dogs. One day it was 99 cent chili tots as a special they threw on the episode. All right. All right. All right. I, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. I respect every bit of it. I've eaten quite a bit of Sonic as well during this time too because it's right next to our work. But I think we're we're really close and in danger of turning this into one big advertisement. And I think that we need to stick to our roots and not, you know, just give out free, uh, you know, handouts to companies that don't need it. That's true. But, you know, I, I would uh, – Oh, that's refreshing. I tried early on. Watermelon and kiwi. Who would have thought? I tried early on during the stay-at-home orders to, like – uh shop local and you know order things from local places but most of the local <laughs> you said fuck it just started going to sonic every day so here's the thing like, <laughs> are either super expensive on any of the delivery apps or you're like ordering and picking up i went one I to do uh burger stand and it ended up being like they said that they had uh, curbside to go, but if you pulled into the space, then you called the number. Everybody was calling the number at the same time, so they weren't answering. It was just a waitress that would come out and just like ask, you know, what's your last name, and like take three or four names back and go grab the orders. Yeah, like the good old days. Like a dozen of us outside. I think most people had masks on, but like I just think the whole point was us not standing in crowds. So like I ordered it once and didn't do it again. It was cold by the time I got it and went home with it. So uh, you know I tried, and there's still any of the ones that are on uh, Eat Street and they don't do like six dollar delivery or something crazy. I've ordered it, but yeah, it, it, recently it's like I'm ordering more for the Route 44. Like I just want to get a diet cherry limeade. If I really need the boost, I throw in a Red Bull and I'm good to go. Like that, that's kind of, it's more about the drink than anything else. But once I order the drink, I can't just get a drink, go up there for a dollar, whatever, and walk away with the Route 44. I need to get a burger and maybe a hot dog and maybe some tots and, you know, maybe a, a Reese's Blast. I don't know. Okay, hey, folks, thank you for tuning in to Making a Mark Wrestling Show. Later, Marks. <laughs> Hey, we're supposed to mark out. Sometimes it's about... Uh, <laughs> You're marking out over Sonic right now. Sometimes it's about wrestling. And when we're talking about wrestling, we'll just start there. We'll go happy moments. We'll go to the, the top. What is the best wrestling you've watched since the last time we talked? What did you mark out over in professional wrestling? Um, well, um, honestly, I loved uh, all of NXT TakeOver in your house. I, front to back, enjoy that entire show. I love the uh, the retro feel of it, the throwback setting. 
the stage, uh, Todd Pettengale. <laughs> um, that was fun. That was that was a really one of the most fun things I think WWE has done since lockdown. Um, and I know that's kind of a broad answer, but I mean that whole show I really enjoyed. Um, other wrestling that I've really liked, I uh, have gotten really into the Undertaker Last Ride series. Despite the "Don't Tread on Me" hat paired with the Blue Lives Matter Texas shit, it's literally the most Texas version of Republic Taker that I could possibly imagine. But despite that, I can still watch this documentary series. So, uh, I, I mean, those that along with also the Ric Flair WWE Twenty Four um, was great. Uh, I. I've always had an appreciation for WWE's uh, documentary filmmaking, so that's been really enjoyable. Um, but week to week, I'm still I'm still gonna watch probably AEW Dynamite over uh, anything else that WWE is putting out. Yeah, at this point, uh, I'm off on the week to week, just in general. And I had been, yeah, to be fair, I had been kind of. To be fair, I, I'd been not watching uh, as consistently heading into WrestleMania before the, the shutdown, before all this. Right. And then definitely uh, with without fans, it just kind of left me in a position where if I'm going to watch, I'm going to watch the pay-per-views and then uh, occasionally throw on YouTube and just kind of see the clips. And luckily, every uh, professional wrestling organization that I watch uh, throws up their clips pretty consistently, throw up pretty thoroughly. You're not going to miss anything if you want to watch each single clip. Obviously, it's not going to be the exact same as watching a two- or three-hour show, but they put almost all of it on there. And, you know, as long as uh, you, you follow the right accounts and you watch them in the right order, it's just a quicker way to watch. I, I used to think it saves so much time watching on Hulu for the, the Raw version uh, or the, the Hulu version of Raw, like – getting rid of that extra hour uh, was pretty great, except they didn't really cut into anything other than they just got rid of segments they didn't like. If you go to YouTube, you get rid of all the filler and you're just seeing whatever the big moment is. And it's pretty easy to look and see. It's like, I probably won't like this segment. Not worth my time. Uh, It's pretty interesting. I think this is probably how a lot of wrestling fans have been watching for a while now. Uh, So it's good to kind of get that uh, feel for it. I don't know if I'm going to go back. I'm saving so much time, so much time for activities. Uh, I don't know if I'll make it back to. to I like I like that you're watching professional wrestling the way that like, a cheapskate dad just into the movies. He's like, we got to get early for the previews. If you watch the previews, I don't got to take you to take, see the other movie. You watch the preview, it's fine. We saw ten movies in one. We're gonna go to one movie a year. It's like this is this is your take on how to watch professional wrestling during COVID nineteen, and I don't hate it. I'm not saying you're wrong. You're kind of convincing me here. I think it's a little bit different because watching the preview, I mean, in fairness, some of these trailers are showing everything that's in a movie and ruining the experience, making it hard for me to, to take a chance on a movie. I'm like, I already saw it. I saw everything. You put every scene into the trailer. Uh, but I think it's closer to watching uh, Andy Dwyer, you know, reenact Roadhouse. I think <laughs> I'm getting all the good stuff. And sometimes better. Sometimes, like, you didn't even know how good it was until you watch the, the trimmed down version. Yeah. Uh, and like, just like I didn't know how good it was until I tried watermelon kiwi truly hard seltzer. I love how you think we're gonna get a sponsorship out of this, and we're just gonna get we're gonna get cease and desist orders, 
and we're gonna have to pull this podcast off of YouTube. Hey, hey, controversy creates cash, baby. Eric Bischoff. Yeah, he's never been wrong about anything ever. So, uh, in terms of NXT yeah. uh, takeover in your house, uh, I think in general, uh, I'm fine with it. Uh, I'm not as uh, stoked as uh, you are about it. Oh, really? I don't think there was anything negative. There just there wasn't too much that I watched. I was like, "Wow, that was amazing!" And it was a, it was a a strange NXT takeover. Uh, not not just from the the nostalgia factor of the in your house, but just kind of the way it was structured. You know, we're used to uh, four match uh, NXT takeovers. All four matches are barn burners, and that's a style that, you know, I could see where somebody, you know, uh, wants classic wrestling, they want a, a cool-down match or something, and it's yeah. over doesn't play like that. Uh, this one didn't have anything that kind of uh, got cheated, except for maybe that first uh, women's match, but you said you took a, a lot away and are excited about uh, yeah. Blackheart and Tegan Knox going forward, so it did what yeah. it was to, but uh, otherwise, most matches got their time. The only one that went short... Uh, Karrion Cross versus Tommaso Ciampa, and we'll talk about that in a bit, uh, seemed like it went short on purpose. It had a yeah. storyline effect. Uh, but in general, with those extra kind of matches, and then when you, uh, you know, they took their shot at the um, the cinematic matches that we've seen in the, the different, whether it's uh, the main brand of WWE or over at AEW, uh, what they just had with Stadium Stampede. Uh, I'm going to, we'll start with that match. Cause I, I have what is my hottest of takes, which is just of the cinematic matches that we've seen and this, just this run, you know, we're not going to go back, back. crappy old ones. We're going to do, uh, empty, uh, right. with the, the rock and mankind. We're, we're, just, we're going, we're going from basically mania till now. Uh, I'm putting this in last place. Uh, okay. so strange. I was expecting with Adam Cole and Velveteen Dream. Velveteen Dream seems like the perfect character to be in a cinematic match and make it his own. I didn't, I, I, I thought that, uh, even with what this was going for, I just didn't feel like they hit the note. You know, I just, I, I, I thought it didn't quite work for me. I didn't enjoy it that much. Uh, the way people tried to describe uh, the, the Boneyard match and, you know, everybody was all excited and there was that one asshole who would be like, well, it was kind of slow. And you're like, shut the hell up. <laughs> it wasn't even slow because they were doing a lot of stuff throughout. The, but it definitely, like, I didn't think it needed to go 15 minutes. I thought by the end of it, I didn't feel more connected with these characters. I didn't buy more into the story. I felt like the longer it went, the more I was watching kind of things that didn't impress me that much. Um, you know, I, I, I respect that opinion. I, I did enjoy it. I didn't really feel like it was missing much, but I could say that all right, if it's missing anything, it could have, if anything, just been more cinematic. It almost seemed like it was just like you could have shot this match the same way you would have shot a normal wrestling match. And used you could have used the same setup, the same setting, the same backlot, the same the cars, everything. But you didn't necessarily add anything to it by making it cinematic style. If that makes sense. So I guess I, I'll agree with you on that. But I don't think that it made it less enjoyable for me but it made it less cinematic. And like you said, Velveteen Dream is the guy that you should be putting in cinematic wrestling matches. Um, so I, I, I can respect that uh, critique, absolutely. Um, that being said, I still 
really enjoyed myself. And, I, you know, this is kind of like the, the conversation we have every so often is that that's kind of the point of wrestling. Um, you know, if you, if you went out and you watched it and you liked it, then good, you know, and, and that's, that's, I'm in that crowd this time. Um, that being said, I do, uh, I, I think that it could have used more of maybe it's, surrounding settings it's more it could have been more cinematic aside from just the the actual camera work um so i'll give you that um that being said the the match itself was still a really enjoyable match i almost kind of wonder if you were to shoot this from like a hard cam kind of style but just having that set up and that setting what the difference would have been yeah, I, and I guess for me, it's, you know, I go back to the opening, which obviously it's a 15-minute match, a lot of things that happen after. But when you're talking about a cinematic match and you're talking about somebody like Velveteen Dream, uh, he is a character that you can incorporate what he's doing. And other than the entrance, like, gear, other than coming out as, you know, the, the Negan uh, cosplay, I think... Which, to be fair, is also, to be fair, is also a kind of dated reference. You know, I think if you're gonna go backlot brawl, and you're gonna go something that isn't extremely current, you go you go Rowdy Rowdy Piper and they live. I was very disappointed <laughs> that that was not the direction that they went. So you know what, my critique is actually getting a little harsher on this match. That should have been Velveteen Dreams entrance attire is Piper and they live. That's my firmest hot take. Brought to you truly hard. Sort of you I would have been okay with uh, his choice in dress up because you talk about data references. It, whatever he feels, whatever Velveteen Dream feels like, will get his character over. Whatever his likes and he wants to incorporate him, I'm fine. Pick it. Uh, he he's made great choices in the past, and it's a reference that, while is a little dated, uh, there's still a big enough Walking Dead crowd, and it's a very nerd like culture similar to wrestling, like. They, they, if you like it, you love it, and you never stop watching it. So yeah. it makes sense. That's fine. It's just in terms of the, the, the banter between them, as opposed to the Boneyard match where I felt like yeah. the personalities of The Undertaker and AJ Styles came out and they worked. By the end of the match, I could tell that AJ Styles was a flat earther. You know, all of it blends <laughs> pretty clear. But a, a Velveteen Dream and Adam Cole, which I, I give – if there is one negative on Adam Cole, I think it is that banter. I think he's good enough on the mic in normal promos, but when he's just trying to talk crap to people, I don't think he's that good at it. And I think Velveteen Dream is also somebody that he, he's shown in early in matches. He's good at doing that storytelling side of it, but I'm not sure if he's a good trash talker. And so yeah. both of them start the match. Neither one led the way. They didn't make me feel like they were actually serious because Adam Cole, his, his like serious is comically serious. Like it, it, it fits more into some sort of uh, rowdy, uh, like uh, freaking frat comedy than it does anywhere else when he's pretending to be angry. It's pretty funny, which I think it works. I think it can work. Uh, Velveteen Dream, just I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what his uh, – he, he used to be so just cool. And then when he's supposed to be mad at Adam Cole, I didn't feel that. I didn't feel this, like, uh, blood feud coming from him. So between yeah. the two, they didn't sell me on them facing each other right now. 
And I don't know what that is because I haven't been watching, so this could just be on me. Maybe some of the promos did a better job of it, but they did not the one they showed before the match. Nothing be ready for them to face each other, and they had time before they engaged in the actual uh, throwdown in this match, and their trash talking was so subpar, it didn't get me sold on it either. Yeah, um, the uh, that's kind of the aspect of the the cinematic wrestling. You know, unless you go full on, uh, clearly scripted like Firefly Funhouse kind of match, where you have certain lines that have to be hit, and it's and it's very, you know, beat by beat, very planned out, versus a match like the Boneyard, which is like a. a, a it has a uh, cinematic fight scene feel to it rather than even being a wrestling match. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the dialogue in that, I, it just flows naturally. And I think it's just because The Undertaker and AJ Styles are that good as well. I mean, like, and, and it's not saying that Velveteen Dream and Adam Cole aren't two of my favorite wrestlers right now because they are. But as far as the feud built into it and also the ability to sell you on that feud within that match alone, like from just, even if you watch it for, as a standalone factor, the Boneyard does that. So this match, I mean, Adam Cole's in-ring trash talking is kind of one of those things where it's, it's not the worst, but it's very much the exact same in every match he does it. And it's a lot of, pretty basic trash talk and then he usually has kind of one moment where he's got one really big build-up line and then he gets popped in the mouth or hit with a finisher like it's kind of a predictable sort of sort of thing to see in a regular match and i don't know if he changed much for this match but uh, i mean the the action of this match uh alone was still very entertaining for me so like i said i'm not i'm not putting this match down but i am also uh hearing all of your points and you know, there are things that could have been improved upon, I guess. Yeah. And and for the, the most part in terms of, you know, what I expected from it, it doesn't help that I didn't uh, keep up with what was going on because it's just a weird situation for Adam Cole and Velveteen Dream to be put in people that have been putting on really great matches in the ring. And now to be put in a completely different situation where this isn't necessarily, um, your strengths being put to use and it's not like they shit the bet. So I, in turn, I just, you know, as we're comparing it to the other ones, I, I there's not been a cinematic match since mania that I really hate it. You know, it's like, yeah. they've been a lot of different styles and they've all kind of hit. And, you know, I know as soon as the first one was good, there was already think pieces from different wrestling sites. Like, Oh, are they going to go to this a bunch? And then immediately the counter is, they'll overdo it. Like it'll just be all the time and whatever. And it's like, I don't know what the threshold is for this being done too much. Uh, but at this point they have done them all really well. I just, all, it, it might even be that this one had a good enough look to it while not doing anything groundbreaking that kind of made it stand out even more that it was just lackluster for me. You know, it was like you, you have the capabilities, you have this chance to put on more than a regular wrestling match. And if you don't do something amazing like we saw in the, the Boneyard match, in the Firefly Funhouse, or in Stadium Stampede, then now I'm kind of let down because it's like you could have – was this uh, oddly shot, like earlier, normal match that happens to be in a parking lot. I'm still sold, though, 
essentially alone on a Panama sunrise onto a stack a pile of chairs. I mean, that's, that's always a good spot that, that if anything is a saving grace. So, there, uh, I mean, as far as, as far as like, what's the threshold, what's too many cinematic matches. I don't think they're going to get there. You know, I, I think that if anything, make other aspects more cinematic, you know, make, make promos more cinematic, make backstage segments more cinematic, go, you know, completely into that realm but again you know long-term planning they're 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 not wanting huh i have no idea why they haven't already done that like no i I mean it's it's very much like you know lucha underground um vignettes like everything is very cinematic and soap opera like and i'm not going to use lucha underground as the best example of how to run a wrestling company but it's also kind of got that sentiment down in the sense that Every backstage segment I watch, and this is to this is definitely no knock on the Charlie Caruso's of the world. Uh, it's just the same thing, you know. Every backstage segment is the exact same thing. You can still incorporate those interviewers, but you know, find some way to mix it up and make those more unique. Because to me, like watching wrestling, the the work in the ring isn't the thing that takes me out of it. It's the really flat backstage promos with an interviewer you know i think a lot of talent can get themselves over in just a you know an in-ring promo but backstage promos are just throwaway for the most part and it's to no fault of the interviewers and i think that those are people who are talented and you know they're filling that mean gene role and if you look back there have always been great promos that have that that interview theme to them but those have just almost completely gone away so why not mix up how you do those yeah and i mean even just simple things like trying to basically do like a hype video for a wrestler like you are shown you can put together some really cool packages we've seen the the commercials that are amazing and when you're trying to create this character that you understand and you buy into particularly with some of the crazier uh gimmicks that vince signs off on and often uh you know insists on you would think that they would lean on those a lot more and uh, hopefully the cinematic matches have given Vince more push to go that way. But I just don't understand that Vince would have this big of a fashion fascination with uh, the movie business, but he's not like, you know, it's like sending Randy Orton to do the Marine eight is not as good as getting those same uh, directors and producers to create one really good video package for any given superstar, you know? I, yeah. It's never made sense to me that that hasn't been done much more often. And I feel like uh, I mean, video packages are – I'm not going to say they're, the full packages are all throw, throwaways, but sometimes they're underwhelming. I feel like uh, I've been watching a lot of um, you know older clips and older pay-per-views lately. And when I say older, I'm, thinking, I'm framing like Attitude Era into Ruthless Aggression Era. The video packages for a lot of these pay-per-views are fucking outstanding, and uh, I you know the you trick. Know, it, they're mixing yeah. together outstanding promos that don't happen anymore. Oh yeah, maybe that's it, huh? I guess. And also, I don't know. Set design is another big factor, which is why, again, we're talking about in your house. So I don't know. I I don't know how to complete that segue. I was going to move on to the next match, but I forgot what it was. Yeah, I mean, Shit. 
it, it depends on where we want to start. Do you want to start with uh, the the triple threat for the NXT Women's Championship, or what's the uh, what match do you want to talk about next? Um, I would say that one. I mean, yeah, let's let's go there. So this is a, a, a very interesting one because without the crowd, it's hard to figure out with, uh, you know, Charlotte. We know what Charlotte can do in the ring. Is any of her trash talking working? Because I've always taken it as it's bad on purpose. And even if it's not on purpose, I'll take it for what it is. When, when Charlotte says something that's obnoxious, not in like a cool heel way, it's like, well, she's just trying to be a classic heel. I'm down for it. Uh, it's so hard to read, particularly when she's yelling to an empty arena. But uh, I, I don't know how – it doesn't matter how whether it's good or bad. It, it, it was uh, not a factor in the outcome of whether this match was good or not. This was a damn good match because you throw in Io Shirai, Charlotte Flair, and Rhea Ripley into the ring, and good shit happens. Yeah. Um, this is kind of one of those cases of – you know how it's like a good sign when we kind of don't have – a ton to talk about. Yeah. This is kind of how I felt about this match. It, it really is. It's like, there's, it, it was, I don't know what else to say other than this is just a really excellent match that everyone should go watch. I mean, I, I don't really have specifics to go off of. Right now. Uh, finish, I feel like was almost, almost that ended up looking brutal with Rhea Ripley's head getting crushed. But, uh, a great finish uh, and very happy for Io Shirai. Do you think that was the right move? I mean, obviously you have the Rhea Ripley lose, uh, dropping the belt to Charlotte at Mania. You I, story going forward where Charlotte is apparently on every goddamn brand and Io Shirai is the one who gets the, the, the big push by a heel who's doing really great as a heel getting to beat uh, the, the, the best heel in the game, Charlotte Flay. So I'm happy for Io Shirai, but I don't necessarily think it's the right move to have, you know, the, the way that Rhea Ripley had been built up uh, was so well done, and now she's just eating the pin in a triple threat because you don't want Charlotte to be pinned, even though this match makes her a transitional champion. So you're kind of not doing Charlotte Flair any favors. You're not doing Ray Ripley any, any favors. And, you know, with Io Shirai, I think Io Shirai should be the NXT Women's Champion. I just think the timing of it was really awkward of being able to do that without hurting other characters. You know, so I... I think the match itself is great as a standalone, but yeah, if you're looking at it as far as the build between Rhea and Charlotte and the build of Rhea on her own, was this whole thing, is it a matter of them getting cold feet, not wanting Charlotte to be on NXT? Or is it, I, I don't know. I guess I don't really know where the decision comes in. I like surprises, so I guess I enjoy that aspect, but it's a it's kind of a confusing move. Yeah, and like I said, without watching everything that's going on right now leading into it, uh, it doesn't make much sense on the surface. Although, like you said, as a standalone, what's happening in the match, uh, the finish was uh, well booked. So you you got to look at the positive there. It just 
when you think of Charlotte moving down to NXT, which isn't what she ended up doing, she's just holding the belt while still being like, I'm the, uh, the most important woman on any brand. Uh, anybody can tell you that. That sort of story can still work. You can still build people up. But like you said, without Charlotte Flair being the one that takes the pin from Io Shirai, then you're not getting that same push for Io Shirai. Uh, you're making Rhea Ripley look <laughs> bad twice. And without it being like, Rhea Ripley doesn't get to later be like, oh, uh, you know, you, you got a you know submission victory on me and it wasn't fair. And then the next complaint is like, Charlotte had to uh, find the, uh, you know, cheap way out to beat the other person in a triple threat match. Like, nope, in this case, you didn't even get beat by Charlotte Flair the second. Yeah. You got beat by another competitor, which makes it hard to replay that rivalry. Uh, I think once you get Io Shirai and Rhea Ripley on their own going down the road, they'll probably build up something that I'll definitely want to watch. But it does put Rhea in a very weird place considering uh, we were at the end of uh, 2019 and we were talking about, okay, Becky Lynch is – Runaway, the best women's wrestler of the year, but Rhea Ripley was gaining ground, and that led all the way into Mania, and now we're in June, and it's kind of like, yeah. where, is, what, where is Rhea Ripley at in terms of her stock? Yeah, the the women's division has been super confusing uh, all across WWE. The sense that, you know, at this point, like you said, in June, Charlotte Flair won the Royal Rumble. Won at Mania, has already lost the title. That doesn't help her. Rhea Ripley has just been on a downtrend since Mania. Um, for, you know, whatever reason, Bailey still has the title on SmackDown. Ba- and Shayna and Shayna Baszler, you fucking nerfed Shayna Baszler on top of all that too at Mania. So, and, and I, yeah, what the fuck? They had so many great characters all building so much steam going towards Mania. And uh, it's, you know, there's there's still great wrestlers, but there's not great story in the women's division right now. Um, I think the tag team division has gained a little steam, I'll say that. So I, I, I paid more attention to that, been more interested in that lately. Um, but they also just kind of ignored the tag team titles for a long time. So, you know, I, I think... Uh, because Sasha and Bailey get involved. Like, that's not like, I don't, at this point, it's not even like get them out of the women's championship picture. Like, any title, any mate, like the fact that they are the majority of time on television yeah. for women's wrestlers on the main brand, it's, it's killing me. It's too much. It's, it's a real bummer. Um, I can't honestly think back and name a single Bailey match in her title run that I honestly remember there there's nothing there um her mic work is awful not entertaining awful um the in-ring is the only reason Bailey exists what? yeah her in- she's a great in-ring performer she's a great in-ring performer been as not- long as she doesn't have a fucking microphone in her hand but, there, but in this time frame she hasn't been amazing in the ring so it's not like that's why you keep the strap on her it definitely can't because of it, the, she's awful and not in a way that's like awful entertaining. It's not good. Right. Just, I just don't care. I've stopped. Well, and, it, and, and people don't, people don't go there to watch a heel put on a, a banger in the ring. You know, they don't, they, that's not the whole point of a heel. Oh, you what? know, the, the, and, and 
Right, but like the type of heel that Bailey is portraying is very chicken shit, and a chicken shit heel doesn't go in and put on master class wrestling matches. It's also and style is not that heel. Like every- it's not. It doesn't fit her. Like she was a much better baby face when the mic work wasn't as important, and being a great in ring worker and just a a solid face was what she needed to do. She was really good at that. So, I mean, Asuka right now is my shining light of the women's division. She's insanely entertaining, insanely good in the ring. Um, that's the character that I, I probably care the most about. Um, you know, NXT has a lot of good storylines going in their you know, I guess you'd consider it their mid-card in the women's division, you know, and uh, that's one thing that I can say is what my, my biggest positive note of the women's division throughout WWE right now is NXT's growth in their women's division and that it's not just a scramble of eight people going for the main title. Um, you know, there's different storylines going between characters like Dakota Kai and uh, Tegan Knox and and having these different builds on different levels where it's not all just an entire division focused on one title where it gets really muddled. All right. So you're giving the positive there. I'm going to need you to sell me on this because I'll just give the, the bare minimum for the uh, six uh, woman tag uh, on this card. Uh, I don't know what the characters are doing. I don't know what their uh, goals are other than the, uh, Dakota Kai versus Tegan Knox. Like I remember that vividly from from War Games, and now she's got her big bad in uh, Raquel Gonzalez. So okay, this is great. Uh, but in terms of watching them in the ring in this match, I I wasn't sure what to follow, what to do. And sadly, the only thing you know, you got Candice LeRae trying to do her like I don't even know what type of heel she's going for right now. Uh, she's she's like is pixie heel a thing i don't know but she's like two degrees off of the problems that bailey's having on the main brand so now i'm scared to death for candice LeRae. i thought her in ring work was just so good that it would never uh be brought down uh by her uh lack uh, of ability on the mic uh so I, I don't know i was watching this match and uh i i keep getting just caught up into the shotzi blackheart thing where i was so excited for what she could do and uh, maybe you could tell me I'm dead wrong on this. I feel like the, the thing that I've been bringing up is that she just seems uncomfortable. And I think that was still there in this match. I think there's just way too often that she's not going at the speed that I know she can do. And not just from watching her live, but from watching her on the, the evolve card, it's like, I know she can go a hundred miles per hour. And it seems like she's still trying to figure out where the cameras are. Um, that might be part of it. It might also be part of the fact that, that whole, you know, the overarching, there were multiple interlinking storylines in that match. Uh, and her character is not the focal point also. You know, the focal point is the ongoing rivalry. And then also you have the new rivalry of Candice LeRae and Mia Yim. So Shotzi's kind of there just as a, almost like a serviceable baby face, really. Um, but I think she's more than serviceable. But at the same time, that match didn't, center around her um whether that's something that you're going to change or not as an individual performer 
you know, I, th- I think matches are designed a certain way where you want that match to center around Tegan Knox. Uh, I think that Shotzi's in-ring work is still very solid. Like you said, it's from seeing where she, like what she has done versus what she's doing in this sense. It's also a matter of, you know, is it just that she thrives in singles competition? You know, is this something where being in a, a six-woman tag match, you have to really pick your spots, and some of your spots are picked for you. Um, but I didn't really see any anything that made me, uh, you know, nothing that made Shotzi lose stock, I guess is what I'm saying. Uh, I think that her stock is still very high after this. Um, I think that her and Tegan Knox really fit and gel as a tag team. And I think that's something that can only get better considering that that's a very new pairing. And I think that the biggest outcome of this match is that what it does moving forward is build into NXT more opportunities for the women's tag division. You already have two solid tag teams coming out of the six-woman tag, and then you have an individual feud of Mia Yim and Candice LeRae. So for me, moving forward, that's what this match was about, was pushing forward literally six performers all together in the appropriate direction. Uh, This match wasn't necessarily a big settle a score kind of situation. And you're not going to settle a score in a six-woman tag when you have a random random you know partner who doesn't have anything to do with your storyline that goes back to november um so if you're able to put six people in a match who all have different motives moving forward and you're able to achieve those motives that's why i consider this match a success okay i'll 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 wait and see i'm gonna hold out judgment uh uh definitely uh shotzi blackheart has earned that uh that ability to have me just hold on to the stock as long as I can. Uh, I'm just, I just really worried, particularly with the way that her like face identity doesn't match what she was on the Indies. You know, she looks exactly the same, but we know that that sort of uh, curse and drink beer uh, face, while that may have worked in the '90s with a, a certain uh, great superstar, uh, it turns out that that sort of uh, you know, inability to fit whatever cookie cutter mold Vince wants yeah. and on the NXT level can and, be a problem, and it can make it hard for you going moving forward and show what you can do on the main roster. Definitely. And I agree, and I think that is probably the biggest hurdle for that character is like that whole character's persona is that she's got balls and she's a badass, and that doesn't necessarily fit with what WWE's culture has been which I think is a good thing. I think that that opens a huge door. I think that is a piece of women's wrestling that's been missing in WWE is somebody who is a little more gritty, um, who isn't cookie cutter, who isn't, um, you know, your, your, your clean cut white meat baby face. Like, you know, most baby faces in the women's division have been, you know, semi white meat baby faces. Becky Lynch is maybe the edgiest one, but really if you look back through everything she's done, it's all been pretty above board. Um, Whereas someone like Shotzi is there to, you know, drink beer. I'm assuming referencing the Sandman when you say a uh, 
a great beer swelling wrestler. Um, and, and that's what makes her cool. Like that's what makes Shotzi Blackheart cool is that she's fucking punk rock. And I think that WWE has more of a pop punk outlet for her. So we'll see how that goes. It, it will be interesting to, to keep tabs on that. Uh, you mentioned just throwing in people who weren't involved in the story. Obviously, Mia Yim and Candice LeRae, part of it, uh, they, they're facing off because of uh, the, the, feuds, uh, the feud between their significant others, uh, Keith Lee and Gano uh, going at each other's throats. Uh, that match for the NXT North America Championship, Keith Lee gets the victory over Johnny Gargano. And so I'll just let you start. This is open-ended. You can take this wherever you want. Uh, what What's the number one thing you 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 think uh, leaving this match is uh, just on your mind and should be on the minds of wrestling fans? Interesting. Um, I kind of have two directions I could take this, so I'm just going to pick one. Um I think this is the first time that you've really seen Johnny Gargano take on somebody who's, he's just very, I I might be missing a a better example, but to where he's been this physically outmatched size wise, which is obviously one of his biggest criticisms. And he showed that he can wrestle a match even as a heel, which I mean, this style almost works better as a heel of your, you know, Rey Mysterio is your classic example, someone who knows how to chop down an opponent, uh, an opponent little by little and really take advantage of weaknesses in order to gain leverage in a match that starting out is just completely physically lopsided. Um, while he did it as a heel, that's a tactic that people love as a babyface and I think that to me that shows that Johnny Gargano is capable of performing that on a large scale and being able to be in big matches like a Rey Mysterio, like a Daniel Bryan, despite his size. And I think that that's one of the biggest, uh, been one of the biggest concerns for him, for fans is like, well, what if he's not going against somebody who's Tommaso Ciampa sized, you know, like if he's going against a, 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 a Titan, you know, a Vince Titan, so to speak. Uh, and, you know, I think that we got to see that at uh, in your house, that he can put on a Johnny Gargano level match against a much larger opponent. And this has been our first time to really get to see that. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I would say one of the issues is Keith Lee is, is huge. He's 300 pounds. He's also 6'2". Uh, so in terms of that height fear that uh, Johnny Gargano has, that's still there because I know there are still guys on the, the main roster who are closer to, to or six five, and they still dwarf Johnny Gargano. Uh, the, the other issue I think I have is, you know, you, you made these comparisons to Daniel Bryan, and I think that's probably the thing that takes me out of this the most is it does seem like one for one Johnny Gargano trying to meet the same things that uh, Daniel Bryan can do. And he's just not as good outside of the ring. Like, inside the ring can go like nobody else can in wrestling. Uh, he can – if we're trying to pick who's the better wrestler between Daniel Bryan and Johnny Gargano, it might take me a while to pick one. Uh, in terms of the Mike stuff, uh, you know, even if – on here who is not a big fan of what Daniel Bryan has done on the mic, I think we can even get him to admit uh, Daniel Bryan is head and shoulders above Johnny Gargano. 
And it's been interesting because I used to think it was kind of a confidence issue. It was like the longer you do it, it how comfortable you are with characters. So when you switch to heel, sometimes it just doesn't, you know, maybe you just don't work as well as a heel. Uh, it seemed like when he's taking the key and he's walking out of the house and like locking up and he's going to drop it in his shorts. It's like, I think that was about as confident as Johnny Gargano could have been when he did it. I also didn't like it. Like not the <laughs> itself, but I, the delivery just, I was just like, I'm not, it doesn't do anything for me. Like him as that heel that he's cultivated, which I don't know. It's, I feel like on some level I appreciate it because it's so much better than what he was doing uh, in promos like two years ago. But like, God, like there's just, I don't know if it'll ever work for me. And it feels like that's the type of guy, particularly with his size, it doesn't matter how well you go in the ring. Look at how much Sami Zayn did on NXT before he went up to the next level. It's like pigeonholed. So it's a good thing Johnny Gargano made it adamant. It's like, leave me here. And somebody listened to keep him in NXT because yeah, while it does assuage some of your fears with him facing a bigger person going up against Keith Lee, in terms of the story stuff, in terms of him selling that aspect, eh, eh. Hey, I'd like to point out I mentioned nothing about story when you asked for my takeaway. <laughs> uh, my other takeaway is that uh, Keith Lee is a fucking top-tier performer no matter where you put him on any brand. That's, that was, that's the short version of my other takeaway is um, – that's a dude that you could put in a match in a story with Braun Strowman or Brock Lesnar and I'll buy it. Yeah. And his, which I guess, which I guess is the more impressive story. And I talked less about it, but well, here we are again. I feel like most people who'd watch Keith Lee uh, before he got to NXT knew that people who have seen what he's done. So yeah. he's already kind of proven that. And there wasn't really much for me to look in here and, and, and try to figure out, okay, uh, did Keith Lee prove he could do, you know, X, Y, and Z? Like, I assume he could do most of it. His is also one that's on the mic, and his is tougher because I feel like maybe he is where uh, Johnny Gargano was, like, a year back, two years back, where I know that he is capable in terms of there, – there are people that when they talk on the mic, they're a Sasha and a Bailey, and I'm like, God, this is awful. Stop them. Stop them from doing this. Uh, Johnny Gargano, even when it wasn't great promos – he could say all the words, he could get through the script and say all the right stuff at the right times. It just didn't always work, you know, and his personality wasn't strong enough to make those work as well as they should. Keith Lee is a very similar guy. He, he's not going to have that issue where he's just bad at reading scripts, but will he ever deliver that personality? The thing we see in the ring and the thing that he performs everywhere else when he's not got the mic and he's talking to 20,000 people, like, is that a bombastic enough personality work, particularly when it has to go through Vince? It has to be what you are. You're bringing yourself to the table, and he is, you know, a little too cool and not in a way that Vince is going to see and be like, he's the cool guy. Let's run with that personality. I it, think he's a cool guy. Say what? I said I think he's the cool guy. But Vince, I think he's very cool and charming. Vince isn't going to look at it that way, and I know when I watch the promos, it's not like – I have nothing against him, but I'm also looking at him like, is he going to get better in that way? You know, and particularly with a lot of these NXT guys that aren't 23, 24, they're getting up there in age. You know, Keith Lee is 35. 
So it's kind of a reps thing. You know, you don't get as many of these reps on the mic while you're on the indies as you do when you're in WWE. And that's kind of the big thing on NXT is when you're getting those reps in, are you going to get better? And are you going to get better in a way that's going to work when Vince calls you up to the big dance? I watched with Keith Lee and I, like I said, it's kind of where Johnny Gargano was a couple years back. And I gave Johnny Gargano a chance. I waited for it. And then at the end of the day, I don't think he's got the ability to overcome it. Keith Lee, you know, the jury's still out. I want to see. I just know that there hasn't been a single promo at this point that told me that's going to work with Vince someday. That's fair. Um, that being said, I truly believe that Keith Lee has a bright future ahead of him. Uh, that was good. That was that was a good enough uh, – <laughs> Cheap, cheap pop there for. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I once again though, uh, th- I'm going all the negatives because that's how we do a show. And in terms of the positive, Keith Lee and Johnny Gargano put on a hell of a match as, yeah. uh, as you know, they tend to do. Uh, obviously, with Keith Lee getting that victory, I think that keeps building him up. The only thing I would ever have a question with with the booking is that Johnny Gargano has come up on the short end very often. And it used to be the excuse was he was the face. You know, it's like he's the underdog who's always going to be climbing that mountain. As the heel, how far can you go? And will Johnny Gargano, you know, I think they've already kind of done that. Like he's gone over the edge. He's lost it, you know, because he's, he's gone through so many losses in these big moments. Uh, and it hasn't really worked. He hasn't delivered that character, at least not in my opinion, not very well. So I don't know where he goes from there in terms of the story. But obviously, you throw Johnny Gargano in with whoever else at the next NXT TakeOver, he's probably right. on another hell of a match. Um, as we move down, uh, we've hit almost everything. Uh, I feel like the more important one is Karrion Cross and Tommaso Ciampa. Uh, we can either segue to that or hit the one that uh, I just – I don't know – I don't want to talk about it, but we'll talk about Finn Balor, Damian Priest. Which one would you rather talk about first? I'd rather talk about Finn Balor, Damian Priest. Why didn't you want to talk about that? Because I feel like this is this is tough. I don't know what it is about Damian Priest. It doesn't work for me. Maybe it's because I know that his name used to be Punisher Martinez, and that's such a better name than Damian Priest. That is a cool name. I don't know what it is with Finn Balor that it's like, I get that he does all these – he, he could do some cool shit in the ring. But when I think of Finn Balor's trajectory from the moment he did like the, the freaking was it, did he Pele kick the uh, fucking uh, Johnny Gargano, his first night in the next back in the next, mm-hmm. like there was nothing, no payoff there that I don't think Finn Balor has accomplished anything in NXT that I thought he would. It seemed like such a perfect move when it happened. And, you know, you could tell me this match, you know, 13 minutes, they, they, they did some cool moves. This is, this is kind of, you know, my, my uh, analysis on the Adam Cole Velveteen dream, but I gave them the benefit of the doubt with it's a cinematic match, so you're kind of put in a weird spot. Just, putting, just doing big moves isn't going to do anything for me. Finn Balor, Damian Priest, mm. come in. They do the stuff I know they're capable of doing. I don't care about either character right now. And no, I, I, why- I'll, agree with you on, I'll agree with you on the characters. Um, <laughs> I am here for, for, for big moves when I haven't followed the storyline as well. And uh, being able to see, uh, you know, Damian Priest come in and just work with a guy as good as but That's one of those matches where I was literally here for the work rate. That's all I cared about in this feud. And it's a thing that you can tell because everyone knows how good Finn Balor is. 
with the just just with 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 the graphs as they say i mean he's 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 that good he's that he's gonna always put on a good match he's one of those the thing is that like you said his character trajectory is definitely concerning because you don't know if it's is this an issue of like we've talked about before wrestlers 15 years ago 20 years ago and, and further back were like way more selfish they were way more aggressive about getting better spots and wrestlers now tend to not have that, which is not a bad thing. I don't think that they all need to be bullies, but at the same time, is Finn Balor a guy who's already accepted this role of like just the guy that's gonna help get somebody else over? You know, is he does he have world title, you know, matches in his future, or is he just gonna be that guy that helps build characters? Um, neither of those are bad things, but for I think what our, you know, general populace of fans would like to see is Finn Balor go on a good title run and get to use his character and get to show off how good he is in the ring. So, you know, for this match going in, all I was looking for was good spots. Um, I'm going to give Damien Priest bump of the night for fucking falling off the ring apron and almost Shawn Michaelsing himself on the edge of the fucking steps. Yeah, um, just hurt. Like, that's... You only got so- like I think it's Edge says is his lines like you only got so many of those in the bump tank, dude. Like, uh, so like you know, it, I, it was too tough for me to watch just because you know that was brutal. Rick Rude injury, and it's like it's that type of like you didn't get yourself in position. You're doing something that's very risky, and the moment mm-hmm. being flat back on something like that, like I I I, I was I was dying watching that. I, texted my neighbor and apologized for the the volume of my reaction because i it sounded like basically my reaction was if my refrigerator fell on me was like the noise i made and then i texted was like hey uh sorry if i'm being loud i'm watching wrestling he's like i I figured yeah (laughs) i figured that's what you're doing but like holy shit that was good lord um also fuck i just love a good razor's edge man like this is one of those matches where I'm like, I, I can't really give you a bunch of points as to why I'm going to defend it. I just liked it. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, that's fair. It's uh, one of those. This one had less of the work right, and it was all about the story, so we'll see how much you like the story. Karrion Cross uh, going up against Demonso Ciampa and have the craziest of finishes, which is it was a six-minute match where Tommaso Ciampa just gets choked out. Uh, what? Yeah. Of the match and of the the story, uh, how do you feel about Karen Cross at this point? Because they he's come in, they put him in that like shoot him straight to the top of NXT role. Uh, how do you think he's done so far? I think he should wear tights instead of trunks. That's about it. Okay, that's that's all I got. Um, I don't know. I mean, he's he's clearly very good, um, but is he? automatically jump to the top storyline, beat Tommaso Ciampa in six minutes. Good. I don't know. Um, you know, I think that maybe I'm not saying he's not, I'm just saying, I don't know. I don't, I don't know enough about the guy. I think that's, uh, an interesting character that like, you kind of look at, uh, is he actually that good? And is he going to last there? Or he, is he, you know, the next Heidenreich? You know, like, is he, is he this just monster that they throw in who eventually runs out of steam? I think he's very good. So I don't, I, but I just have really not a lot of background on the guy. So I really can't tell. 
Yeah, I'm, I know that I heard a lot about him on Twitter. You know, you just hear about Killer Cross, and, you know, it's kind of that, like, anybody who's in the impact orbit that you're like, are they that good? Because you said the same thing about Bobby Lashley. You said the same thing about EC3. And, yeah. You know, we can blame enough on booking, but there was also like, th- these weren't the surefire bets you kept talking about. Yeah, the- these are the things that I'm, these are the things I'm going to be skeptical on and just kind of wait and see. I'm not even necessarily skeptical in the way that I don't think it will work. I just, I don't, I'm not sold on it right away. I know that there is definitely that crossover of impact and NXT fans who think this is the fucking best thing ever. And, you know, good for them, you know? Um, but it's hard to say this early, um, you know, and, and is it going to be like a pairing of, is it, is it a matter of who's paired with, you know, is it him and Tommaso Ciampa? Is that the right feud for both guys? You know, are they going to pair like water and oil or are they going to pair like watermelon and kiwi? I don't know. I don't know. That one wasn't as good as the last one. Uh, I also think uh, his crosses valet Scarlet is uh, pretty interesting because she has a uh, charisma that she brings to the table. I have not actually seen any of her mic stuff, so I'm just hoping she's good at that part. That's a very progressive way to put that. Wade would be proud. Uh, I think also I, I did watch like one clip of her power bombing somebody in Impact, and at first she like didn't quite get her opponent up. And I was like, oh, this is about to end poorly. And then she went full-blown. Like, this is, like, as hard as you can powerbomb somebody and then still hit flat back. I'm like, is she yeah. a good wrestler? Because yeah. that's, you but know. She is. She is a good wrestler. I, 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 really, I really think she is. If she can be another Selena Vega type that can really do an amazing job as a valet building up uh, the person she's partnered with and then also be somebody who can cross over into the wrestling side of it when she needs to, I think that's great. I'd like to see a little bit more from her and see what, what's happening with that. In terms of Karrion Cross getting to take out uh, Ciampa the way he did, I, it, it really just kind of depends on where you're going with the character. I feel like trying to create this like ultimate badass, once again, without me having watched all of the buildup going in, it's hard to tell whether they had made that work because you, you can't just come out of nowhere and let that person – beat him in six minutes there does need to be that implication that this was possible to begin with and they yeah. won't do that and then they did it um so that's that that'll be interesting to to see how they go forward if they can keep him in that range and then it almost makes me wonder how this could have been used in a different situation i was thinking to another match that kind of just worked but also didn't is like Ugh, i don't i don't know if it was as good as it was meant to be I was thinking the John Moxley Brody Lee match at Double or Nothing. What if you know? Because Brody Lee ended up getting you know choked out, another technical submission. It was just the way that it was done was there more to try to protect Brody Lee, but it didn't really like make Moxley look more like a badass. Maybe it's because he's already maxed out his badass points. I don't know, but like I. The, I don't know if the answer would have been letting Moxley beat Brody Lee in six minutes and just, you know, they, they go a hundred miles per hour. Moxley gets that submission on him and it's just this quick victory because Moxley yeah, uh, built. But what if Brody Lee got that over Moxley? I know you'd, you'd cause a hell 
just a, a lot of backlash over letting uh, Birdie Lee come in as an ex-WWE guy and just steal the belt from this other ex-WWE guy that you're trying to build up who stole it from another ex-WWE. And it's like, maybe don't let Birdie Lee come in and take the belt immediately. But if you would have told that story, that would have like actually put Brody Lee where he needed to be based on his character kind of not quite working. That would have gave us a better idea of where they were going with him. If he was able to come in and choke out the champ and John Moxley gets to come for his challenge, say, Hey, I, you made me pass out, but I didn't tap out. And that's yeah. another shot, you know? And, and I think, uh, and this is a tap out moment, but it is something similar that I think is kind of one of the best versions of this is, Finn Balor versus Brock Lesnar, you know, a match where you have an ex, you have an expected winner. You're going into this knowing, knowing how this is going to end. And then you actually have the unexpected opponent getting the upper hand, but then just gets caught, you know, and that's, that's the thing that builds characters like that is that they can catch you at any time, no matter how vulnerable they are. And that's what makes a dangerous character. So I think, there were it's not like it was a full squash but it was fast and i i think that that was closer to it than maybe moxley and Brody lee but i don't know it, the, like i said this is one that i just have to really see more to believe it fully yeah and in this case i think there will probably be some people that talk about this um as if you know oh that's not NXT TakeOver match. Wade's probably that guy if we were to have him on this podcast if he would have been following along and watching. Uh, I don't... I, I think it, it had a storytelling purpose and the only way this becomes a bad match is if, as they continue to tell that story, they fail. Like, if they yeah. do poorly going forward. Uh, I'm per- I, I, I hate the fact that there are so many matches that happen, particularly on WWE main brand pay-per-views, where it doesn't get that benefit of the doubt. And I know that's all because we've seen where the product ends most of the time and it leaves you. Right. It's fine. But I hate the fact that we bake that in and then we say, Oh look, this didn't work, but it's often fans preemptively deciding it didn't work. Uh, this is something that it's not about how good this match was. It's about how good this will make this feud, how good it'll make this character carrying cross and how much this will improve down the line. So uh, I, I think it's a good move. I don't really have any, uh, sort of negatives. I just did start to think, okay, this is kind of where they're going with this one. Could that have been used in some other scenarios? I think it's fine. And I think in terms of uh, this pay-per-view, uh, you know, you, you really enjoyed it. Uh, I kind of just fell in the middle and I don't know how much is it like now I'm starting to view NXT through that same lens that we've had to do to AEW and WWE main brand. I think you're just dying on the inside. I think you're getting, you're getting up there, you know, you're, you're what? You're like, how old are you? Uh, I don't know anymore. Twenty nine, like forty five. Like yeah. Like, I mean, you're you're up there. You're you know you're just starting to lose the passion. And I don't think that that's wrestling's fault. You know, I think that you need something in your life, like perhaps maybe a watermelon kiwi truly, to really remind you that no matter how hard the seltzer is, life's pretty easy. All right. I, I I will say that the I. I I don't think it's just me getting old and getting bitter. Cause I, <laughs> like, before I think with NXT takeovers, I do think now when I'm starting to view it through the same 
issues. And I know immediately some of the smarkier fans will say, well, now Vince is putting his stamp on it more now that it's on TV. Maybe that's it. But I, I, I think now if I'm trying to compare it the same way that I'm going through and watching what makes AEW good, what makes a good WWE main brand pay-per-view, like you need that great wrestling match, but you also need that story. And I don't know how much, cause you know, I wasn't really watching the weekly NXT show mm. before now. They put together great packages that sold me on rivalries. And I knew the characters. I knew how they worked. And it got me excited for the match when it came on. Mm-hmm. Put together that package despite knowing when I tuned in NXT each week, it was like, eh, some of these promos are not good. Some of these things, like they're cutting out the bad, the bad stuff as much as they can when they're building that pay-per-view match package. You know, I was I was actually thinking about this this whole kind of uh, I guess philosophy uh, earlier this week, and you know what I think a really good example of this is, like you said, what makes a great WWE pay per view? Go back and watch WrestleMania 21. This is one that I have rewatched several times, and it literally has just kind of a little bit of everything that makes WWE pay per views great. You know, it, it has a like you said, it has the great wrestling match of uh, Kurt Angle and Shawn Michaels. It has a unique multi-man match of the first ever Money in the Bank. It has uh, the storylines involving Batista and Triple H and John Cena and JBL and has kind of a... um, like this doubling down on like... uh, steps forward in progress you know like like w, like it, it's one of these things that i this is one of my favorite wrestlemanias and i just felt it really applied to this conversation wrestlemania 21 is is a perfect example of how to kind of get a little bit of everything um so kind of just to your point of you know what makes and this isn't just for you this is for anyone who watches this is go watch wrestlemania 21 and make that your you know your bar that's 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 my bar for what i expect out of of you know having to tick all the boxes of a mainstream wwe pay-per-view all right i might give it a shot although i think i watched it a couple years back but uh never hurts to go back and watch it again watch some great never i still need to finish up uh last ride though i still need to finish up Uh, i'd not watched the the Ric Flair 24 yet I saw the yeah. trailer for it and I got excited. How many how many uh how many parts is last ride supposed to be? I don't know, man. Cuz I think part 4 comes out like maybe next week. I think part 3 came out like 3 weeks ago, so I don't know how how they're spacing it out, but I, yeah. It's, they're getting there. Part 3 co- <laughs> fucking hell. Part 3 is basically like the lead in it <laughs> It picks up with, like, this is how terrible the tag team match in Saudi Arabia was. And then the leave off, like, as it's leaving, it's like, okay, well, this is his moment to redeem himself. He's got to wrestle Goldberg in Saudi Arabia. And then that episode ends. And it's like, God damn it. <laughs> like, I am cringing thinking of how uncomfortable this is going to be. Like, like the last two episodes really focus on uh, – you know, Undertaker feeling Mark Calloway feeling very underwhelmed by his own performance and feeling like I can't go out on that one. And then he has a good match, 
and says, that was a good match, but it was too short. I'm going to do another. Well, I can't go out on that one. And then has another that's, I definitely can't go out on that one. And then the next one is fucking Goldberg. So I, I can't wait to see his response to what I've widely considered, regularly considered, the worst wrestling match I've ever seen is Undertaker versus Goldberg in Saudi Arabia. Watching a documentary, a behind-the-scenes take of how the performers felt of that match is like, if I was an energy vampire, like, that would be like porn. Like, that is just literally the most uncomfortable, cringy, painful thing that I can imagine watching that isn't featured on Dark Side of the Ring. It could be fucking featured on Dark Side of the Ring that match is so bad. But we'll see where it goes from there. That's good. I like how you uh, just gave a slight nod to our next Q Crew podcast where we uh, cover the energy vampire that's in those <laughs> as we uh, just recap season two. Uh, that's exciting. Did you watch the finale of that? Uh, I'm going to watch it after this, actually. I was, I actually, uh, so it's on at like 2 a.m. on Hulu. And last night I was like, like about one o'clock rolled around. I was about to go to bed and I was like, might hang out, stay up, watch this, and I realized that was a really bad idea. Um, so I just kind of rewatched a couple episodes from season two. So I'm gonna throw that on uh, probably almost immediately after I uh, hang up here with you. That's good. I think we have uh, similar plans. I'm just on another rerun of Community right now. So oh, fun, nice. Once I have a new episode like this one waiting for me, I can just jump into that and not have to put it off for much longer. But I'm. I'm actually really bummed because this is kind of wrapping up. So I have had like a constant stream because I was getting caught up on Letterkenny for so long. I finished Letterkenny. I started watching Dave. I finished Dave. I jumped into what we do in the shadows. I don't know where to go from here. I'm going to watch this episode. And then all I'm going to do is just watch those other two shows in this show on repeat along with professional wrestling. And I, I need something new. Dark Side of the Ring is wrapped up for the season. Um, which Jesus Christ! If you didn't watch that Owen Hart, Owen Hart episode, go watch it. It is brutal. It is painful to watch. It is a it it it's uh I I I could do a whole episode on that honestly, but uh um you know everything. It's a weird time to uh watch TV in this world. I guess we did discuss some movies that are coming up that we're wanting wanting to see and talk about, but. It's kind of this is the time to start watching wrestling, which is funny because this is when they're usually on break. But yeah, I mean, there's wrestling to watch, and then uh, if you're not a big fan of the uh, lack of audiences uh, being at the wrestling events, watch old wrestling. Just jump onto the network and uh, all day. Because yeah, I don't know what else there is. I, I I heard Space Force is not good, so I wouldn't say it's not good. It's just maybe underwhelming. It's not as uh, minute by minute hilarious as a lot of TV shows that are around right now. I, I enjoyed Space Force. Right. But um, I I would say if you are going to go watch old wrestling, my favorite thing to do is just pick a year. Pick a, pick a pay-per-view you remember from your childhood when things were awesome and you really liked everything. Go watch the week-to-week shows and throw in those pay-per-views in the middle of that. There were, like I my last one I did was I threw on like SmackDown 2002 and just watched the week to week episodes and then would watch a pay per view watch the week to week episodes watch a pay per view uh, I had a lot of fun doing that 
it was a lot of it was so far gone from my memory that it was almost like watching it new again. Well, that's a it's a good thing for our viewers to do. Uh, I, I've definitely enjoyed going back. I don't know if I'm going to ever go through years of wrestling like that. I just don't quite have that time. But uh, it, it there's so much to to go access, and there are those moments where you like. I remember that happening. Do I remember that happening? Because that's a lot different than I remember it. And yeah. It's always good to kind of get that refresher course uh, on your childhood. What, or like I like to call it, ruining your childhood, Ethan. Like No, no, no. I haven't watched anything from 1998, by the way. Like, I'm, I'm afraid to go back that far. I'm watching, like, early Ruthless Aggression is what I'm watching. That's good. Um, but, I mean, and, and it's like 95% of it's – it's good. You know, 95% of everything is like, Oh, it holds up. It's enjoyable. That 5%, you know, okay. There are certain angles that don't hold up. They're potentially racist or homophobic or, or just awful. It's a really bad 5%. Unlike the good 5% of alcohol that is in every can of truly hard seltzer. Thank you to our sponsors, truly hard seltzer and Sonic specifically route 44 via the Sonic app. Yeah. They're not going to pay us, man. Cheers. That's it. Later, March. Later, March.